Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining us, and we are with Hickory Ridge Community Church and so excited about what God is doing through our church. We are just excited about the fact that we can gather together. And, uh, you know, we've been worshiping together inside for quite a while. And so if you are listening to the broadcast and you haven't got back to church quite yet, oh, can I encourage you, come on back, right? Trust the Lord, take care of you. I'm not going to be doing foolish things, but I believe we're at the end of this pandemic and I believe better days are ahead of us. And so come on out and worship with us. And and if you're still a little bit apprehensive about going inside, why don't you come to Drive-In Church? We have Drive-In Church at 9 o'clock, inside worship at 11 o'clock. We'd love to see you. We'll make you feel right at home. And I promise you had a great time worshiping together. We have a great worship team. We have a great nursery and preschool ministry. We have a great children's church that we call Elevate. And uh, we are so excited about what God is doing. So come on and join us this Sunday at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock. Well, we've been going through some of the Beatitudes of Christ, and we've been talking about being authentic and what that looks like. When Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, what in the world was he talking about? He was talking about that quality of being genuine, being real. Unfortunately, we are in the habit of faking it. (laughs) That old expression, why don't you just fake it till you can make it, right? That's not a very good way to live your life because if you fake it, you make it, eventually somebody's going to find out that you're not making it. The real McCoy is going to come out. So we talked about you might be fake or you might be divided if you're jealous of somebody else. And one of the ways that you can understand jealousy is by looking at how you respond to rejection. If rejection drives you to jealousy, then you have a divided heart. We looked at the story of Barnabas and how he was the son of encouragement and how he went out and he sold his field one day and he gave all the proceeds to the church. Now, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? A generous heart. Well, there's a couple in the church that saw that. Their story is also found there in Acts chapter 4 into chapter 5. And this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, were jealous of the recognition that Barnabas was receiving. They wanted to receive that recognition, but they didn't want to go through what Barnabas went through to get it. They didn't want to make that big sacrifice. They wanted the benefit of being praised by man without making the sacrifice. So we discover that there are three types of people that we need in our lives. And if Ananias and Sapphira had had one of these three people in their lives, maybe, just maybe, they would not have gone down that path of destruction. We talked about the fact that we need an example like Paul. Paul who will exhort us and challenge us. We need an example of Barnabas who will constantly bring encouragement to our lives. And then we need somebody like Peter who will give us warnings in our lives when we're going down the wrong path. So he said a divided heart is a heart that is driven by jealousy. You might have a divided heart if you're greedy for something. That is that you want something that doesn't belong to you. And then we talked about the fact that you might have a divided heart if you are controlled by fear. And that's where we finished up the broadcast yesterday. So I want to look at the story of Ananias and Sapphira on a deeper level. Acts chapter 5, beginning at verse number 3. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit 
and you have kept for yourself some of the money that you received for the land. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You haven't lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and he died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some of the young men came forward and they wrapped up his body and they carried him out and they buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Well, yes, she said. That is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. What a sad story. What a powerful story. Now, what would have happened if Ananias and his wife had been authentic, if they had been real? They could have gone down in history as a great example. Instead, they go down in history as a horrific example. Here's the question. Why did God kill Ananias and Sapphira for lying? Well, the answer is very simple. The story of Ananias and Sapphira, as it is found in Acts chapter 5, is a sad story indeed. It actually begins at the end of chapter 4 with the description of the early church in Jerusalem. A group of believers so filled with the Holy Spirit that they were of one heart and one mind. Great power and grace were upon these apostles. They were preaching and they were testifying of a risen Savior. So knit together were the hearts of the people that they held all of their possessions loosely. And they were willing to share them with one another. Not because they were coerced to, but because they were driven by love for one another. Those who sold land and houses gave their profits to the apostles who distributed the gifts to those in need. Two members of this group were Ananias and his wife Sapphira. They also sold a field. Part of that profit from the sale was held back by that couple. And Ananias only laid a part of that money at the apostles' feet. However, Ananias made a pretense of having given all of the proceeds. This hypocritical show may have fooled some, but not Peter, who was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Peter knew instantly that Ananias was lying, not just to him, but more importantly to God, and exposed his hypocrisy right there and then. Ananias fell down and died. When Sapphira showed up, she too lied to Peter and to God, saying that they had donated the entire proceeds of the land to the church. With her lie being exposed, she also fell down and died at Peter's feet. You know, some may speculate that these two deaths were from natural causes. Perhaps Ananias died from shock or guilt, but Peter pronounced Sapphira's death before she died. And the coincidental timing and place of their deaths indicate this was indeed God's judgment. The question is why? Why would God kill two people for lying? Now, God's reason for bringing about the deaths of Ananias and Sapphira involved his abhorrence of sin. The hypocrisy of this couple and the lesson for the rest of the church, both now and then, is so powerful. 
It can be easy today to kind of gloss over the, the holiness of God and to forget that he is a righteous God and that he is pure and that he hates sin wholeheartedly. This particular sin of hypocrisy in the church was dealt with swiftly and decisively. When Ananias and Sapphira, were they truly saved? We believe that they probably were. That's why they couldn't get away with lying to the Holy Spirit. Their story is told in the context of actions of all of the believers. They knew of the Holy Spirit. Ananias' lie could be an indication that he was going contrary to the Spirit of God. As we look at this, we discover that God does not deal with sin lightly. Ananias and his wife, they had conspired together. They wanted the accolades of the church. They so craved the praise of the church. But their conspiracy actually led to a sin unto death. You know, the Bible does talk about a sin unto death. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. You see, as followers of Christ, we live a life that is different. The case of Ananias and Sapphira illustrates the fact that even believers can be led into a bold and a flagrant sin. It was Satan that had filled the hearts of them to lie in Acts chapter 5. Covetousness, hypocrisy, and a desire for the praise of men all played a part in their demise. This sudden and dramatic death of Ananias and Sapphira serves as a warning to the church, but also purifies the church. It says that great fear seized the entire church. You see, right away in the church's infancy, God made it plain that hypocrisy was not going to be tolerated. His judgment of Ananias and Sapphira helped to guard the church against future pretense. God laid the bodies of Ananias and Sapphira in the path of every hypocrite who would seek to enter the church. Furthermore, the incident involves Ananias and Sapphira helping to establish the apostles' authority within the church. These sinners had fallen dead at Peter's feet. It was Peter who had known of the secret sin and had the authority to pronounce the judgment before the church. You see, if the hypocrisy of Ananias and Sapphira had succeeded in fooling Peter, it would have severely damaged the apostles' authority. The sad story of Ananias and Sapphira is not some obscure incident in the Old Testament regarding a violation of the Mosaic Law. We discover that this is an incident where God searches the hearts and the minds. You know that we think about secret sins, but really there is no such thing as a secret sin. Secret sins are open scandal in heaven. I want to encourage you today to live a life of authenticity. When you think about authenticity, I want to tell you a true story about a man who grew up about a hundred years ago. When he was a child, this child loved to draw. Though his parents did not really praise him for this, his aunt encouraged him by buying him a drawing pad and pencils. He also had neighbors, and one of the neighbors was Doc Sherwood, who encouraged his talent. The neighbor hired this young man one day to draw pictures of his horse and when he was only seven years old. Doc Shorewood and his wife told this little boy how wonderful his drawings were. Of course, 
you all know that this man later became a great innovator. His name, Walt Disney, as he grew up, gave us Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and a host of other characters. He gave us theme parks and lots of fun. He won 26 Academy Awards for his beloved Disney cartoons and his movie productions. You see, that little encouragement that he received from Doc Shorewood went a long way. As believers, the most important thing we can do is encourage somebody to follow Jesus. Just as Barnabas encouraged his friends to do the right thing. Encouragement is so important that the Bible actually commands us to do it. When you think about encouragement, the Bible talks about being authentic. It talks about being genuine. As a matter of fact, authenticity means not wearing a mask. I'm glad we're coming through the end of this pandemic, this coronavirus, so we can stop wearing the masks. We can drop the masks. Most Christians, however, are afraid to remove, I'm not talking about their physical mask, but they're afraid to drop their pretense. There are three reasons why we should live a life of authenticity. We are afraid of being exposed, but people already know the truth about us. You see, the fear of exposure is the fear that people will find out we're not really who we say we are. But I want you to know something. People already know that. People can discover real quick if you're not being genuine with them, if you're not being real with them. You see, when we think about the struggles that we have, we never get over our struggles by denying them or ignoring them. It's only when we confess them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, no one really knows what anyone else is thinking or what is really like except that person himself. As we put that mask on, we are presenting ourselves differently than what we know about ourselves but they can see right through it. You know, we also sometimes put on a mask because we're afraid of being rejected. We're afraid that people reject us if they get to know the real McCoy or who we really are. I don't want to be driven by the whims of people. I want people to understand that every one of us are created in the image of God. The opinions of other people should not move us. I've discovered something about opinions. Often, opinions are driven by feelings. Feelings are up and down. So we should not be fearful of human opinion. When we are driven by fear of human opinion, it actually disables us. It causes us to be going down the lines of a people pleaser. We should not care what people think. We should care what God thinks. There's another reason why we oftentimes will keep a mask on. It is because we are fearful that if we drop that mask, we might be hurt again. You see, the truth is, you're going to be hurt in life many, many times. I want you to know this world that we're living in, this is not heaven. This is earth where people get hurt. And you're going to be hurt over and over again. That's just the way life is. If you hold on to your hurt, it will shrink your heart. It will harden your heart. And eventually your heart turns into stone. You've got to deal with hurt so that you can get on with your life. There's a sad process that goes like this. I've seen it over and over again. The more that you have been hurt, the more you become afraid of being hurt again. And the more you're afraid of being hurt again, the more defensive you become and the more protective you become. And the more defensive and the more protective you become, the more inauthentic of a person you become. We develop self-protective habits. 
We build defensive walls around our hearts so that nobody can get through. And we actually push people away by all kinds of behaviors. What happens to people who give in to the hurt and hold on to it? What happens to the people who don't know how to let hurt go? The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 5.17, all they get are days full of sadness, sorrow, and they end up sick, defeated, and angry. You see, the antidote to the fear of being hurt again is to let God give you a new heart. God is in the heart transplant business. Ezekiel reminds us that God gives us a new heart. He says, I'm going to pour a new spirit into you. I will remove that old heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. Have you been on the defensive because you have been hurt? Jesus Christ can give you a fresh start. He can move you from a phony, inauthentic heart who is inauthentic with relationships to giving you a pure heart. You know, I love talking to people one-on-one. You want to be more of an effective leader or a shepherd? Be one who is close to people. Being close to people means you got to take a risk. And that risk is that risk of being exposed, rejected, and yes, possibly even hurt. But in the end, it's a risk that is well worth taking. Jesus opened himself up to people and he was rejected and he was crucified. But he also launched a world-changing movement and became the way for people to know God and go to heaven. Listen, if you want to lead, you're going to get hurt. But you just might change the world in the process. Oh, I want to encourage you, my friend. Be one who is living a life that is filled with authenticity. Jesus also gave another point on this Sermon on the Mount. And in the remaining moments of the broadcast today, I want to talk to you about how we can go from a mourner to one who is happy. You know, there is one highly successful advertiser who said this, I am a success because I can convince people that the longing they have in their lives can be fulfilled with the stuff that I have for them to buy. Now, I know that they will buy into my item and in turn buy my product only to discover that after a very short time, this product did not fulfill that inner hole. So then they will try another one of my products to fill this void. This becomes a money-making circle for me. Now you think about that. This is a successful advertiser who says, I constantly try to convince people that I have what they want. And if they would just buy what I am trying to sell, they will be fulfilled. But then when they buy what I sell them, in a matter of time, they are not fulfilled. So I tell them to buy something else with the same promise that they will be fulfilled. And after a short time, that does not fill that inner hole. This is a process that continues over and over and over again. And this advertiser says, in this process, I become rich. And in this process, you become empty. That is what I would call the definition of insanity. Larry Fields, an NBA basketball player, said, My identity was all tied up in basketball. I had wealth, I had women, I had wine, and it only led to woes. He took advantage of his success to get people to like him. 
Basketball brought about all that he ever dreamed about until he lost it all. Jesus said this, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You think about sorrow. Sorrow that brings unrestrainable tears to the eyes is what God wants us to go through so that we can be comforted. As you look at that, it does not say, blessed is the mourning, but it says, blessed is the mourner. God actually takes our grief to teach us what is most important in life. Grief in and of itself is not a blessing, but the one who grieves is blessed if he accepts that comfort that God promises. You see, grief happens when our positive expectations of life collide with the negative realities of life. (laughs) Let me repeat that for you. Grief happens when our positive expectations of life collide with the negative realities of life. In Proverbs 15, we learn that a glad heart makes a joyful countenance, but sorrow of the heart and the spirit is broken. The mind of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, inquires after it, and he craves it. But the mouths of the self-confident, or the mouths of fools, feed on folly. Now, at this point, I want to interject something that hopefully can bring a little levity to the seriousness of this subject that I'm talking about. My dentist this week told me I looked a lot better leaving his office than I did when I arrived. Why? The pain of drilling was over. When you think about going into times of grieving, I want you to know that mourning can turn to happiness. What is the process that we go through to make this happen? Well, number one is when you lose, you leave what you want, you can gain what you need. In other words, when I have something taken from me, I can actually gain what I need. In Mark 10, 39, Jesus says, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Another way of saying that is this. You will never find your life until you lose your life. It is only by losing your life that you gain eternal life. In other words, we've got to become empty before we can become full. You see, the biggest need is that we need wisdom and direction in our lives. I should live my life every day with a heavenly mindset. My heavenly mindset tells me that I do not need or I should not want all the new gizmos out there. I don't need and I should not want the newest car every time it comes out or the newest house every time it's built. I don't need the latest tech gadgets every month. What I really need is heavenly wisdom from God. Why? Because that will direct my choices and my daily decisions. So when I lose something, I must look at it as an opportunity to gain something that I need. Paul says, godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. You see, we came in this world with nothing. We're going to leave this world with nothing. Unfortunately, on the times that we're living in this world, it seems like we spend all of our time trying to get something, only to leave us empty. I want to ask you a question. Can you be content when things don't go your way? When I lose what I want, I become open to how God is going to fill my need. I can't continue to hang on to my loss 
because to do so is to forfeit my ability to hang on to what God has provided. So we've learned so far that when we, you lose something and you grieve over it, God gives you something that you need. Secondly, when we lose our dreams, we can gain God's vision. You know, I had a dream of having children that would be healthy. I never dreamed they would be perfect, but I dreamed they would be healthy. That dream was dashed by God's giving us a new vision, even though he gave us a child that is unhealthy. You see, from the broken dreams, a new vision has arisen. Your life is filled with setbacks. Here's what I've learned about setbacks. Setbacks are not really setbacks. They are setups for God to accomplish his vision. Dietrich Bonhoeffer stated, For Christians, the beginning of the day should not be burdened and haunted by various kinds of concerns that they face during the day. The Lord stands above the new day, for God has made it. All restlessness, all impurity, all worry and anxiety flee before men. Therefore, in the early morning hours of the day, may our many thoughts and our many idle words be silent, and may the first word and the first thought belong to the one whom our whole being and our whole life belongs. Oh, I want to encourage you today as we finish up this message tomorrow. You may be facing some delays in your life. Delays never thwarts God's promises or His purposes. It only polishes His instruments as they wait to receive His gift. Thank you so much for listening to the broadcast today. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3220 South Battlefield Boulevard, Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We would love for you to join us. For more information, you go to our website at www.hrcc7.org. No matter what you're going through, remember, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.